0: Folks, we are going to move to CliniOps. Abhik Pal is the CEO, and this is a company that is currently in the One Million by One Million program and navigating super well. Abhik, your turn to relate your lessons from the trenches.
1: Thank you, Sramana. And uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Abhik Pal, um, founder of CliniOps. So I was actually part of the One Million million program uh, uh, when I was just starting, you know, about three years back or so, it helped me a lot in understand uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of entrepreneurship and how to navigate the very, very early stages. Uh, and you know, of course, uh, as many of the others said, uh, bootstrap first uh, was a key mantra. And uh, we did bootstrap, um, and um, now after about three years, we're back in the program looking for some support to navigate the next stage. So thanks a lot, and, you know, looking forward to uh, share our story. So on the next stage, please. So um, the clinical is a software company and a a data science company. Um, We're working on digital transformation of the clinical trials. Um, I'll talk more about what clinical trial is and how our solution um, kind of um, helps um, solve the problems and stuff. So here's just a quick snapshot. Um, So we started in October 2013, so a little over four years now. Um, A lot younger compared to the other two companies we just heard. Um, anyway, we have an office here in Silicon Valley and uh, one in Calcutta in, in, in India. We have a diverse set of um, folks, actually engineers, data scientists, domain experts, statistical analysts, doctors, uh, a, a small 15 member team <clears throat> between the two offices and uh, a few uh, uh, consultants. And uh, we're supporting studies in more than 15 countries now and have more than 50,000 patients um, on our platform. Uh, Main customers are pharma, biotech, and med device, but we also work with um, academia and foundations, anybody running clinical trials, right? And so we've had um, supported actually works with um, um, Howard University, Stanford University, Gates Foundation, USAID, and many such organizations as well. In terms of the market side, about a little over less than uh, 10 billion um, with a healthy double-digit dagger. And we've also received uh, several traction along the way, uh, you know, five artist companies E- clinical company of the year, top ten innovations itself, um, but we've obviously um, bootstrapped until uh, date and um, grown organically uh, through, through customer funding. Lots of ups and downs, but uh, definitely a great experience so far. Uh, so on the next slide, so here's the team uh, that has kind of helped us get here. Um, you know, we um, uh, I actually started uh, as a you know with technology background. And then I um, graduated from IT, came here from my MBA, worked with two startups, and the first one was um, Euclid, uh, got acquired by Persistent, and then I joined another boutique consulting firm called uh, We sold a product to SAP and then got acquired by Hexaware. Um, I was all through in the enterprise application space, so not really in the technical uh, area. Um, I was traveling like forty-five weeks a year in about 40 plus countries uh, in, in this whole span of time. And then um, gradually got involved uh, with, uh, you know, the other conscious side of things um, and joined hands with a friend of mine, a kindergarten friend I mean, who was starting a company called iCure in India, it was last mile healthcare, you know, rural health. And uh, it was a very nice experience and learned a lot on the way, and actually a lot of those actually helping me in my current um, uh, area of focus. I still sit on the board of iCure. And then Subbu joined us um, as, as a co-founder um, his, as uh, you know, the CTO. And I'll talk a bit about him in my next slide. Um, Partha, also from IIT, joined later um, as the global delivery head. Um, he was uh, cognizant Life Sciences from early days till, you know, grew it to a much bigger, I think it's a billion-dollar entity for cognizant now. Pat is a physician joined um, us from the early days as well as an advisor, and um, she brings in a lot of the um, patient-doctor interaction, those, those kind of workflows into the mix that all went into the design, product design. And Arjun uh, is a co-founder of HCL, and part of um, our team. So let's talk a little bit um, on the you know journey so far. Uh, from the next slide, please. Um, so the first thing is, uh, you know, once you have an idea and you're ready to, um, you know, um, get started, is to find find a co-founder. I right? think some of the um, earlier uh, speakers spoke, you know, spoke on that as well. Building a company is not easy, right? And building it on your own is very difficult. <laughs> so, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're always selling, right? You're selling your, uh, you know, business idea to an investor, uh, selling your products and services to your customers. You know, you're selling, uh, you know, to your employees. But the first thing you have to sell is sell your dream to 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 an entrepreneur, uh, to another person, right, your co-founder, somebody you can trust and, you know, is, um, with you to take and thin, right? So that's, uh, uh, you know, something uh, I think very important and I was fortunate to have Kabu join us uh, as a co-founder. And he's also from IT, we knew each other for a long time. He actually um, um, worked in this space as well, so that helps you know, with Sonofi first the and then Life Technologies Then that got later acquired by Tomo Fisher. So, in the early days, we decided to kind of select the responsibilities and uh, you know he was uh, focused on the product development the product roadmap the um, the partnerships in this uh, space and I focused on all the other aspects, you know finance marketing sales space r and all that stuff so that helped you know having that uh, demarcation on in, in the roles and having um, somebody to own and drag it next one please um the next thing in my mind is to uh, kind of find your first pilot, right? Um, I spoke to many relevant folks in the space early on to get feedback, understand the use cases, understand challenges, understand you know, landscape, competition, all this, this is part of your validation process, right? Well, what comes of that is usually one of them becomes your first pilot. In our case, um, it was California Public Medical Center. I actually got introduced um, <clears throat> to this clinical trial industry you know, to my wife, uh, she's a physician from India, and she started her first job with CPMC and was running clinical trials. Had some in know, domain in-house. And um, you know, out of curiosity, I started uh, doing some research on clinical trials, more so because I was also involved with IQ, right, that was in the healthcare space. So the more I learned about clinical trials, I realized that it's very global. And uh, FDA prefers to keep it that way to get a heterogeneous mix or a diverse mix of patient populations. So then I questioned myself, how do you collect data in such a global setting? And I've seen how things are, how data is collected, healthy the data is collected as part of the IQ experience. So what we learned is that the clinical trial process is very manual, very paper-based, very archaic, you know, and hence a good technology solution can help in a big way. Um, so to better understand, I actually registered, or enrolled myself as a healthy patient in some of the trials that my wife was running went um, through the whole process, this is in downtown San francisco right and to my surprise, they' still very paper based and a lot of some manual interventions and uh, you know paper signing you know filing of um, these papers in cabinets and so so I question that when you collect data, if this is the case in let 's say in Silicon Valley then how is it in the rest of the world right so um, and this technology has evolved and leaps and down since then so um, how can we better evolve uh, or leverage this into uh, the clinical trial space? And that was kind of the foundation. So I took uh, the PIs out for lunch and dinner a few times and bounced a few ideas, they shared some more and you know, um, it kind of um, struck a chord and then I started developing um, a prototype which was eventually piloted at CPMC. So A lot of good lessons learned from that exercise and all went into the product and over time the product matured in a lot uh, advanced along the way to what it is today. So, um, so here's another thing that we did. Um, um, Most of us are engineers, right? Or, uh, you know, um, and or many of us, and um, we get too involved in the product development. We iterate, we reiterate multiple times, In the process we burn a lot of time and money. um, And we realize that by the time the product is ready for the market, we probably haven't invested enough to get the market ready for the product or what we're doing, right? And then you tend to spend another maybe six months or a year to get to a point where you can kind of spread the word and get some early traction. And for us, again, product development becomes a lot more easier than sales and marketing. And that's more reason to start early, right? So that's one of the things that we did. And it's also when you're doing that early marketing effort, it's not about talking about your product or solution, but to um, establish yourself as a thought leader. You know, build some credibility, especially if you're kind of um, first-time entrepreneur or you don't have that pedigree. Uh, it's even more important, right? And um, so, in, fortunately for us, we, I was able to publish an editorial article on drug development news, which is um, you know widely read one. It triggered a lot of uh, you know future downstream articles, a lot of publications that followed after that. And most importantly, some very relevant connections. Right, so these interactions um, um, helped a lot in making, you know, further uh, connections and build up, um, uh, the 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 people you know in the space and, and, and stuff. Right, many of them actually tend to be your earlier adopters as well. <laughs> so following that D J News article, I mean, there were a lot of publications as I said, uh, were published and a uh, lot of media inks. And today we have almost, uh, in the last three years or so, about 70-plus things um, with almost zero marketing dollars. So I think um, getting that in your thinking as you build your company early on is, is, uh, is very helpful. Okay. So after you have, you know, there are two parallel tracks. One is uh, the product in parallel and one is the <clears throat> marketing efforts in parallel. So then the first, next step in the process is to get your first paid customer. In our case, it took us, about, took us about two years to launch the product, but the same year we launched, we got uh, a top 10 innovation from PharmaWise, which is another very widely read magazine in our industry. Excuse me. It so gave us a good start a lot of inbound leads as well. But um, having someone to open up for a wallet is not easy, right? especially for the first one. And so, this in our case was National uh, Kidney Foundation. And use um, case was not a really very perfect fit for us, um, but the product was flexible enough to, to be configured to make it work. Uh, we received some good <clears throat> reviews along the way, learned a lot of good lessons, and uh, in the process also picked up our first check. It was a very, very small amount, uh, but uh, what's more important is it gave us the confidence, gave us the encouragement, and you know what that was, built something that customers are willing to pay. And now you actually have a story you can spell, right? Um, And this eventually triggered a lot of um, other top brands of clients, you know, both in academia and foundations, as I mentioned, Harvard, Stanford, Gates, and stuff. And in the next two years since then, we are supporting trials in more than 15 countries, uh, Pharma, Biotech, and many others. So uh, let me uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, what we do and um, um, how we do. So before we get there, um, to the solution is a quick snapshot of uh, to understand the space, right? So when a pharma company brings a new drug to market, it takes uh, about, uh, you know, more than a decade, um, and you spend a lot of money in the process, you know, um, 2 to $4 billion to bring that new drug to market over the period of 10, 12 years. A significant portion of that time and money goes into clinical trials, and that's the area that we're focusing on. Uh, a big part of that clinical trial time and money, again, is, Tent into something called SDV, source data verification. And um, our technology or our solution um, eliminates this whole SDV in a big way, um, or drastically reduces it. And we'll talk more about it. Patient engagement is another key. You know, patients drop midway into the trial, so it becomes a lot of burden and overhead for the pharma company. And no trial actually ends on time. That's a, you know, a, and cost of delay is very high, depending on if it's a blockbuster drug versus a normal drug and still the costs are very high. We can't afford to have these delays. So what, is, what can you do by technology innovations itself to bring these drugs faster to market in a more compliant way, in a more uh, you know, um, uh, cost-effective way is, is the key. So that's where we come in. Um, next question. So uh, here's the, um, how the tech stack looks. <clears throat> so in the early days, um, trials were usually done on paper. Um, and then or Excel, and then eventually in the mid-90s, um, you know, two companies um, came to the market, and they developed something called EDC, Electronic Data Collection. And till date, and this was the mid-90s, right, so almost 20 years later, so till date, all trials are done with a web or a combination of web and paper. Um, in 2013, FDA actually published something called eSource Guidelines, and eSource is basically sourcing or entering or capturing that um, clinical trial data, um, the first entry of that data in an electronic way. Right? So till now, so the source documentation or sourcing is actually very important in this, um, in this industry. So it's the first entry of the clinical trial data. Uh, if it happens on paper, then it's the paper source. If it happens electronically, then it's e-source. Right? And uh, this source document needs to be saved for you know, 10 years, 20 years uh, based on the regulatory requirements. So it's important that you do it right. Otherwise, there's a lot of downstream cost uh, overhead um, you know, after the trial is over, uh, is completed, right? So our first goal was to uh, figure out a way to leverage some of the technologies that we have uh, in, on our fingertips over the last 20 years you know, since these earlier releases were uh, developed. Um, that's you know, the social mobile analytics and cloud or SMAC as it is called. So mobile first was our key, right? So we wanted to get this whole data collection you know, collected via mobile device. And um, some of the challenges um, that, uh, that exist, especially in a global trial, is because um, internet is a, a challenge, right? uh, especially at the point of care. So, most hospitals or health centers will have internet, but it's, let's say, a one corner room or an IT room. Uh, but where the patient doctor interaction happens, it's usually not there. Right? So, collecting data on a mobile device and collecting data offline. So, that enables the patients and the doctors, or sorry, the doctors and the nurses. Uh, to be far more effective uh, with no dependency on network and other stuff. So that's another key. And um, um, and finally, once you collect data digitally at a point of care, once you can eliminate paper and once you can get closer and closer to real-time, there's a whole lot of other things that the industry uh, can benefit from, which currently does not exist. You know, Leveraging machine uh, learning, AI, you know, blockchain, and others. So you know, there are regulations, there are uh, uh, things like adaptive clinical trials, but how can they adapt? If the data is not real time, so most data right now is very stale. So let me just walk you through the process of um, how you get from the early data collection to uh, file submission. The top one is the EDC, which I was mentioning earlier, electronic data collection. So you spend all this time, or the pharma companies spend all this time to, you know, millions of dollars to get the technology solution for EDC, but most sites are unable to implement it the right way. And it's not on the technical challenge as much as the operational challenges. For example, internet, as I said, you know, doctors' familiarity with, um, with um, you know, EMRs or computers. Nurses, they are not trained in EMRs or so EDCs that much. So all of this put together, they prefer to collect data on paper first. After that, um, you know, that becomes a source document. So it needs to be physically stored in, you know, binders and folders and cupboards. It's a lot of, you know, you be compliant archival you know, systems, a lot of money spent on that. And then these stay idle for quite some time, you know, um, usually from six to 12 weeks um, is, is the normal before the data is actually available um, online. And uh, to get to that, there's a lot of manual transcription that happens. So, you know, trained people will come and transcribe all the data into the EDC system. There's a lot of monitoring that happens because um, data um, cannot be, or part of the data which is um, patient related information, PHI, uh, cannot be shared with the sponsors and each of these paper documents has a footprint of uh, a PHI and clinical data. So, so it's typically, you, know, you just can't scan and send it because it has PHI, so it monitors actually travel all these sites. A typical phase three trial, just uh, to build some context, can have maybe um, 30 to 50 sites globally Right, and it can last for two to three years. It can have uh, you know, 2,000 uh, to two five thousand, or seven thousand patients uh, as part of this whole process. So it becomes it uh, becomes very difficult to to manage on paper. And after all that is done, <clears throat> then FDA requires a third eye um, to make sure that the two data match. Right, there's one set of data which is on paper for the site. There's this other set of data which is um, on digital or uh, for the um, sponsors or the pharma. So they know need to match and hence these monitors come into picture. And then finally data management where a lot of these, so along the process because there were so manual interventions and uh, a lot of queries or a lot of errors happen in the data. So that's fixed as part of the data management process, again a very consuming in um, a long-term process. Eventually the database is locked and the data is ready for analytics. Right? So how we have done it differently is that uh, we have built a very simple user interface on tablet, works completely offline. Which is only for data collection. So, meant to be used by nurses or frontline users uh, in emerging world countries around the world. Very, very simple, has only two things who is coming and what am I collecting? Who is coming is basically the patient um, info, and what am I collecting is basically, uh, you know, it's called case support form, which is structured as to, you know, blood pressure and, you know, uh, from that heartbeat. So, those are the two things. And it also has a lot of and balances that run behind the scenes, right, to make this data very efficient, uh, very error-free. Um, so if you enter some data um, which is outside some range, it will pop up right there, right, and you're only able to do that because you're collecting data digitally. If you were to collect on paper, it's just not possible, right. So those are the benefits, um, and then if you do that, you don't need any physical storage, uh, very minimal, uh, minimal idle time, you know, earlier I was saying six to 12 weeks, here we are doing um, six to 12 hours, or even less. Basically, you collect the day throughout, data throughout the day, and by the end of the day, you sync the data and go back home. So um, almost real time, the pharma company on the other side uh, of the globe is getting this data access to this data. Um, and since you're collecting digitally, you can actually mask out the PHI versus the clinical data. So the protected data is not synchronized behind the firewall. So um, for monitoring, you don't need to travel. Sitting here, you can have real-time access on the clinical data as well. So, monitoring effort reduces drastically as well. Same with data management because a lot of the data management has actually happened upfront and upstream. So, all that put together brings a lot of um, you know um, savings in time and money for uh, for this whole process and significantly increases the data quality. So, that's kind of um, where we add value and how we do differently from the traditional uh, you know. Um, Software's out there. Now, in terms of um, adoption, so the early adopters in our case was, um, you know, was studies uh, where there's a significant, um, you know, Africa component, right? Um, these um, uh, solutions, the ADC solutions, uh, which are uh, currently out there in the market, um, they, uh, the value proposition for us is far more easy to, uh, to demonstrate if there is a site which is not very advanced, um, and offline is a big win for them, right? So we started doing um, some of these studies where, you know, in, in uh, Lesotho and uh, um, Swaziland and uh, you know, Ethiopia, Somaliland, Nigeria, Tanzania, Equatorial Guinea, a whole bunch of these places. And these are all done by, you know, top brands um, uh, uh, running, the, running the trials. It gave us a lot of credibility and a lot of learning, and the, you know, the product also evolved a lot along the way. And, um, you know, obviously if that works in, um, you know, Africa and Asia and other places, the same will obviously work in U.S. Um, and, in fact, a lot better. So instead of, you know, six to 12 hours delay in thinking, most of the places here may have real-time thinking or much, you know, smaller um, uh, time lag before the data gets ready for analytics. So these are some of the benefits. And as I said before, we have more than 50,000 patients on a system several different countries. And fully compliant. We are supporting disease areas across many, many different therapeutic areas. Um, and but one of the early ones, as I said, was uh, you know the neglected tropical disease and infectious disease things that happen in emerging world countries. They they gave us a boost uh, to get started. Um, so we have a few case studies, but I think in the interest of time, maybe I can focus on just one of them. And uh, this was a big study run by the Gates Foundation uh, with uh, you know drugs from, and GSK the triple drug program. It was a 24,000 patient study, and, um, you know, when we received the protocol, it was a 38,000 patient study. Um, So typically, you do these analyses ahead of time that will tell you how many patients you need to enroll to get to a significant number. In this case, it was reaching to 10,000 patients with a certain criteria. Um, And usually what happens is you run all this trial, and at the end of the first year, you you freeze it, and then you do the analysis, hoping that you hit the 10,000 mark. But since, in our case, the data was real-time, they didn't have to wait till the end of the year. They were seeing it almost near real-time. So there was one curve showing the enrollment. There was another curve showing, you know, how, how close are you to that 10,000 mark. And it so happened that, you know, 24,000 patients somewhere in Papua New Guinea actually got enrolled. And everybody was expected the very next morning because the study was about to be closed because they had hit their mark. Now, in the process, they saved themselves um, in spending additional time and money to enroll another 14,000, right? for the 38,000. And that was only possible because of the nature of the solution, because how we had designed it, and that real-time access um, uh, to, to get to that analytics and, and, and stop the study at the right time. To so add to that, um, typically for studies like this, you usually get about 50 to 100 queries in not-so-good sites, especially the ones that we were dealing with, is Papua New Guinea, uh, there's uh, some you know, remote island in Indonesia, a remote village in India, Fiji, Haiti, so all these are, you know, um, somewhat island countries where um, um, these mosquitoes actually happen. And these are not very, uh, you know, uh, tech friendly or the infrastructure is not uh, that robust. Um, but even then, uh, you know, we were able to manage uh, collecting all this data completely digital, almost no paper. And, uh, you know, from 50 to 100 queries per patient, uh, the data quality was so high that it brought it down to just two queries per two, per 100 patients. So. <laughs> It's a drastic increase in, in data quality as well. You know, you published um, WHO published reports based on uh, this data. We got a lot of traction um, out of that, and a lot of uh, downstream projects followed from there. So all these actually helped us, you know, create exciting stories that you can further sell into other customers, um, learning from there. So, um, so with that, you know, I, uh, you know, don't want to take too much time. Uh, we received several tractions along the way. The first one is very recently. You know, we were marked among the Top four, including the two market leaders um, in their vision 2020 for Eagle Intel Solutions. Um, you know we have continued to grow all through through customers and revenue, and that's the key. And we'd like to keep it that uh, in, you know for some time. Um, with that, thank you very much. Um, if you have any questions, happy to answer.
0: So once again, very proud of what uh, ABIC has achieved. They, uh, the company has crossed 1 million in revenue in 2017 and is on its way to a massive growth this year. The first quarter has been fabulous, it looks like a superb year. So a textbook case study of the 1 million by 1 million methodology, all these stories that you're hearing, there's a reason why we have chosen these stories to showcase. Uh, for this 400th roundtable, and I've invited all these entrepreneurs who are literally following the 1 million by 1 million methodology, and, and vice versa. You know, the 1 million by 1 million methodology is built on top of the journeys of entrepreneurs who have followed these kinds of methodologies. So it's a great validation of a methodology that a proven methodology that all of you who are listening can follow and become successful. So thank you, abhik Very proud of you and your accomplishment